been doing is looking into the life of a man named Caleb of the tribe of Judah. And what was happening is before the promised land is going to be distributed out to the people, Caleb comes to Joshua and he basically is reminding him of a promise that God had made about what would happen. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 36 gives us an insight into that. It says, Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. And we've seen that phrase, wholly followed the Lord. And what we find when we search scripture is it shows up five different times. And all five different times that it shows up, wholly follow the Lord, is always referencing to Caleb. It's an unusual thing. It's an amazing statement, but it's always related to him. And what we found is the fact that uh, Caleb, as he comes to Joshua, does not come to Joshua with a sense of entitlement. Right? He doesn't go there, hey, man, I want what I want. He doesn't come there with that attitude of entitlement. Entitlement brings with it what we would say is ingratitude. Right? People that are entitled are not grateful. What we see with Caleb instead is the fact that he comes with a very humble a very kind spirit. He comes with a, a spirit of thanksgiving. So Caleb's consistent faith, his willingness to trust God, his willing to, to walk with him and to trust not only himself, God, but also trusting his word, gives him the opportunity to boldly come to Joshua and not come to him again with a bad attitude, but actually come to him with a sense of um, justified expectation. He says, hey, listen, I remember what God said way back in the day and how he set aside this land was going to be mine. And because I know that God is a man of his word, guess what? I know that I can ask of that truth. God always keeps his promise. And we talked about last week, we used the example of the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the promise that was given back in Genesis chapter 3, speaking of the fact that Christ would one day come. And what was so cool was we looked at how God, or we watched how God faithfully brought that to pass, that, that promise was fulfilled. And time and time and time again, which is so amazing about scripture, is God makes promises and then faithfully he fulfills them over and over and over again. Then we looked at Caleb's life and we were like, well, he's a great example of unwavering faithfulness, but boy, oh boy, God is the ultimate example of unwavering faithfulness. And so it's with this understanding, this principle of unwavering faithfulness that we look at this and we go, okay, this is why you and I can come to God with an attitude of confidence in him. We can hold him to his word because guess what? God can always be trusted. He's faithful in all, and he's also faithful through all. Whatever we face, whatever we go through, he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He will love us in spite of ourselves. How many of us feel unlovable sometimes? Boom, every hand should be like scraping the roof, man. We are, we are many days unlovable. I mean, I'm always with my wife. I'm like, thank you for the grace, my darling. Um, but it's amazing. God loves us because guess what he does? He sees us for our potential. He doesn't see us at our brokenness. He sees us through our brokenness to who it is we can become. So God loves us for that potential that's within us. And he gives us this opportunity, every single one of us, no matter how far we've fallen, how badly we've broken, no matter how big a mess we've made of life, God says, you know what? I'm going to give you all the same opportunity. Every one of you can experience a, a, a life of joy, a life of peace, and a life that is actually denoted by love. It is incredible. He offers that to everyone. And what's so cool, because see, he's faithful on his end. He'll offer that to everybody, and we have no doubt about it. That's just who he is. That's his character. So then how do we experience it? Ah, this requires faithfulness on our end, right? Because it's a relationship. It's a relationship, and we miss a correlation. God many times talks about his relationship, uh, our relationship with him, as relating it to, uh, to a, a husband and a wife the aspect of a marriage. Again, remember, Jesus is a picture of the, of the groom, and we're at the church, a picture of the bride. And what we see here is in order for us to have a faithful relationship to, to him, guess what we have to do? We have to be willing to be uh, unfaithful to the world, right? right? This is the issue that most people have. We have a relationship with the world, and we also have a relationship with God, and we would call ourselves double-minded. We're trying to be both places, and we can't. James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10 says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, obviously he's making a correlation to physical husbands and wives. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Verse 5, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? That spirit, lowercase s, talking about our nature, right? Our nature, it says it lusteth to envy. We have a natural tendency to be pulled to sin. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Here's this issue of humility. Submit yourselves. Really? Humble yourselves. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. 
Resist the devil. doesn't say fight the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. What we're going to see is God is conditional. We're going to touch on this today. We do our part. God will do his part. You draw nigh to God. He will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Right? We're caught up in two things. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. We're going to cover that verse in a bit. Humble yourselves, verse 10, back to humility. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And so when we are ruled by our passions, when we are ruled by our emotions, we are ruled by our feelings, when we're driven by fear, jealousy, anger, bitterness, lust, whatever it may be, what we are revealing to everyone in our life is that we have a very close and intimate relationship with the world. Now, when we get out of that and we find ourselves fulfilling the very Spirit of God working in our lives, right? The fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, temperance, right? All these things, when they appear in our lives, what it shows the world and what we reflect to everyone else is, guess what? We're in an intimate relationship with God because the Spirit of God is working in and through our lives. And so one of those leads to disappointment. One of those leads to frustration. How many of us know that when you go to the world for answers, in the end, you're frustrated by it? Right? It does not fulfill. It leaves us empty. But the other, man, it brings absolute contentment and complete peace, guaranteed. But it's a matter of getting to the place where we're willing to surrender. The only variable in realizing this promise is us. We are the variable. God is consistent. God is faithful. It's our inconsistency that causes issues. So we have this mindset right now. So we have a, a reflection. we got the image of Caleb, his unwavering faithfulness. So let's keep him in our minds. And let's watch as this, as this seasoned soldier for God is getting ready to face some giants. Because recognize, he's going to receive some land. And guess what that land is eat up with? Giants, man. They're all over all over that land. But what's going to be really cool is we're going to see how he is going to receive from God because of that un unwavering faithfulness and the confidence that he has in what it is he's going to face is not in himself. We're going to see that he depends upon God. And what he'll do is he'll teach us through what we'll see today, how you and I should see the challenges of life, how we should see the giants that are to come against us and realize the fact that, listen, we should be able to face giants at any age. Because I can promise you, at every age we live, there are going to be giants. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for your gift of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your Spirit that dwells within us as believers. Uh, Lord, that we can uh, hear from you, uh, Father, from the words uh, of the pages of the Bible, God, and you can speak to our hearts. And Lord, I have studied, I have prayed, I have reviewed, I have, uh, Lord, uh, meditated on this Scripture. And Lord, I'm confident that you've spoken to me. And I am going to ask you, Lord, that you please help me to be removed out of the way. All I can do is mess things up. So Lord, I plead, please, would you remove the human element of this message, God? Would you remove me? And Lord, would you just simply as a, use me as a mouthpiece that I would share what you want should be shared? And Lord, get me out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, verse Joshua chapter 14, verses 10 through 15. It says, now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive as he said, these forty and five years, ever since the Lord spake this word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, in, sent me as my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day that how the Anakims, those are giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. And if so, be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kerjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. So through Caleb's example this morning, what we're going to see is four different things that Caleb understood. We'll see, first of all, that he understood that every day is a gift from God. Secondly, that spiritual strength doesn't diminish with age. We'll see that real strength is derived from God. And that last, that God rewards faithfulness. And so picking back up with the conversation between Joshua and Caleb, what we have to remember is the fact that these guys had some history. Right? They had actually gone into the promised land together. When they came back and everyone else was naysayers, there were only two men that actually stood 
against them. There were two men that trusted God, and that was Joshua and Caleb. So when he's coming here, remember that history there. Numbers 14, verses 30-38, take us back to that time when we hear what God said during this point in time of, of, of his speaking of their faithfulness. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, speaking to the Israelites. Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye have said, uh, should be prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year shall ye, be, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise." I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Verse 36, And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who rented, who returned, and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun... And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. God willed for them to live. What we notice is this first point, every day is a gift from God. Notice how Joshua opens up, or how Caleb opens up, verse number 10. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. He says, listen, I'm fourscore and five years old. Fourscore means 80. He's 85 years old. He's saying, listen, the Lord hath kept me alive. Caleb knows that the only reason that he has survived up until this point is by the grace and the mercy of God. It is by the will of God. Listen, he survived the 40 years in the wilderness, all the adversities, all the things that they faced. He survived every battle that they've gone over the last four or five years as they've been working their way through Canaan. They have been in countless battles, and Caleb's been right there in the thick of it, and he's come out of it unscathed. And what this does is it gives us a great insight into Caleb's psyche, kind of the way that he thinks. He approaches life with a level of dependence upon God that I think a lot of us would have a hard time even probably comprehending. Remember the wording that was used to describe his commitment to God. What did it say? It says, he wholly followed the Lord. What that means is Caleb was all in. He wasn't halfway in. He wasn't still trying to decide if he was going to jump in. He's all in. He is committed to following the Lord. And you see, with this level of commitment, there also delineates or, or directly correlates to a, a, a place of dependence in his life. So he's committed and he's at the same time dependent. And so when we think about that and we go, okay, well, let's relate that to us, maybe in the church age, for us from Christ's perspective. What does he say in Mark, verse 830, uh, Mark 8, 31 through 35? So this is where he is uh, talking to a group of believers. He says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Peter's like, No, no, Lord, this can't happen. Right? And he says, verse 33, But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Notice this is the exact same wording that the Lord uses with Satan whenever he's tempted in the wilderness. Get thee behind me, Satan. Now he's speaking to Peter. Peter is not possessed by Satan by any stretch of the imagination, but Peter is being influenced by Satan, right? He is being influenced by that wicked force. For thou savorest, he says, listen, you've got the wrong perspective, Peter. Listen, thou savorest not the things that be of God. You're not seeing this from a, from a godly perspective, but the things that be of men. You're seeing this from your human perspective. You're not trusting me, Peter. Verse 34, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him, whoever's going to be a follower, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's saying, if you're really going to follow me, you're going to be wholly committed to me. You're going to be wholly dependent upon me. Verse 35, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Now that sounds like a really weird statement to make. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. It's talking about the fact that God says, I've got a spiritual life for you. I've got an existence for you that is, that is going to be amazing. It's what I intend for you. And if you don't, if you're willing to say, you know what, I don't want to risk my life. I'm going to worry about my physical life. You're going to save your life. You're going to miss out 
on what, did I have, what it is I have for you. But whosoever shall lose his life, whosoever says, listen, I'm not going to care about my physical. I'm going to focus on the spiritual. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. You're going to experience what it was I created you for, the real life. Not the one that you see with your eyes, but boy, the one that is going to be so fulfilling, it will knock your socks into the next room. You'll be barefoot. Jesus is relaying the same sentiment that Caleb is relating to us, communicating that our lives, communicating to us that our lives are not our own. Listen, that we are not our own. We are the Lord's. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen, this is who we are. Caleb knew that every day that he had, every day that he was alive, was a gift from God by the grace and the mercy of God. God had given him every day that he had. David had the same kind of sentiment. Listen to Psalm 39, verses 4 or 5. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am, how dependent I need to be. Behold, thou hast made my days and handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. That word vanity can also be translated vapor. Just a vapor. So David, listen, he's telling us that what appears to be solid today, what appears to be something that we can hold on to today, is nothing more than an illusion. Listen to James 4, verses 13 through 15. But go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. We're going to go to this city and we've got a plan of how the next year is going to lay out. We've got it all worked out. Verse 14, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, this is, this, this is the attitude you need to have. Here you go. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Every day is determined by what God's will is, not mine. Listen, we need to remind ourselves that every day is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. Proverbs 27.1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I mean, these are principles that we've heard before, and it's like, but so many times we don't live this way. So many of us live with an expectation of tomorrow. Like we have all the time in the world. We think that, hey, listen, you know what? I know I could deal with it today, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put it off till tomorrow. You know what? I, I know I could go talk to so-and-so, but you know what? I'm going to put it off till tomorrow. I'm going to put it off till tomorrow. You know how many people left this earth with things on their plate that they said, I'll put off till tomorrow, and they never got a chance to ever do it? And we waste today, but we're given this opportunity. What if we started living our lives with the same kind of attitude? What if we started saying, you know, I'm going to live today to its fullest. I'm going to do all that I can for the glory of God, taking advantage of every moment that I'm given so that the Lord's life would be seen or God, the Lord's light would be seen in my life. We have interactions with people every single day and we're so consumed with ourselves that we miss out. And there are countless people who died unexpectedly having no clue what tomorrow held. They were living with the promise of a day that would never come. And there's countless people that die every single day, and that's the truth. Caleb, Caleb realizes that every day is a gift from God, and that he should live it as if it's his last. Because you know what? As far as he knows, it might be. We need to do the same thing. We need to live as if every day is our last. Are we living that way? Is that the way we face the day? Do we wake up with appreciation and thanks for what we've been given? Or are we frustrated by our circumstances? Are we willing to be faithful and unwavering in our faith to trust the Lord and say, God, you know what? I don't know what today holds, but I know you do. And because of that, I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to give it my all. Lord, would you use me in whatever way you can? If it's through tribulation teaching me something, or if it's through the tribulation and how people, what people see in my life and what, what you're teaching me so I can help somebody else, whatever it is, Lord, help me to embrace it. Let me see it the way I need to. And we move from a feeling of entitled, being entitled to life and deserving better to having the perspective that we should, being truly thankful for all that we have. 
Is it possible that if we started every day this way, if we started every morning with the gratitude, with thanks, and we were to dress the day with that kind of heart saying, you know what, Lord, teach me today, develop me today, use me today for your glory. The same way Caleb has that attitude, how much would it affect our faith? How would it affect our attitude? Dramatically, I would assume. Number two, spiritual strength doesn't diminish with age. Verse 11, as yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. So Caleb is 85 years old, is talking about his strength, the strength that he has to accomplish the mission that God had given him. Initially, remember what he was, he was sent into the land? He had strength to do that. He was battling against forces of evil. He had the strength to do that. God has empowered him to succeed in both of those, but there is still that work to be done. There is still yet land to be conquered. Caleb is just as committed now as he was then. He's just as dependent now as he was then. And so Caleb understands, listen, that it's never been because of him. He's not succeeded because of who he is. His accomplishments were not, uh, were not determined by his physical strength. They were determined by his talents, his skills, his abilities. They were determined, it was determined by the strength in his faith in God. So many times we want to take responsibility for the very things that God blesses us with. Again, remember, every day is a gift. So if the gift was provided for us by God and something happened in that day and we go, well, look what I did, look at me. Man, we shouldn't even be here. But by the grace of God, and God puts opportunities before us every single day. Recognize that following the victory they had at the Red Sea, right? Whenever the, when the Egyptian army followed them in and God closed the Red Sea and there was that devastating victory against the Egyptians, what happened was Moses led the people in Exodus 15 in this song. All of Exodus 15 is a song, but I want you to just hear the first two verses. It says this, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. Notice, he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. It's all about God. Not luck what we just pulled off. This is amazing. We should slap each other on the back. This is so cool. Right? That's our tendency. We like to take credit for things. And God says, no, and the recognition here is the fact that this is all about him. Verse 2 begins with this way. The Lord is my strength. And you see, this is the mindset for success. This is how we succeed, truly succeed. Putting faith in God's ability and strength while choosing not to rely on our own. Our natural tendency is to take responsibility. Our natural tendency is to trust in ourselves. Listen, what we find is Caleb does not make any excuses of why it is that he can't do what's ahead of him. There are giants yet to come. The land that he's going to receive is eat up with giants. He's not, he's not going to complain about his aches and pains as an old man. He's not going to give a list of reasons of why it is that he cannot succeed. He is going to faithfully trust God to fulfill the mission that the God's given him. And so we recognize this. We go, okay, what's, what's Caleb's secret? He's committed, not just for the moment. He's committed to the end. He says, look, I will not stop. I will not quit. I will not give up. I don't care what life throws at me. I don't care what my body throws at me. I don't care what age throws at me. I am committed to the end. I'm in it all the way. I'm doing it. And this is another thing. Caleb's not doing it for himself. Caleb is doing all that he does for the glory of God. It's a different perspective. If we're doing it for ourselves, boy, oh boy, it is difficult. It's tough. But man, when we're doing it, it's kind of like this. If you're a parent and you're waking up in the middle of the night taking care of a baby. Oh, isn't that fun? You just lay down. You literally, you're just like, okay, baby, here we go. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. You're just at your wit's end. And then you lay down again, and sure enough, they start crying again. And it just, man, it just wears you out. 
But you don't do it for you. You do it for them. You just press on through because you're going, you know what? It isn't for me. It isn't for me. I'm going to deny myself because I'm going to do it for this child that I love. And if we love the Lord, man, we'll push through. The problem we have in our day and time is the fact that most of us are more focused on our comfort than we are on our mission. Okay? Let me say that one more time. We have a tendency to be more focused on our comfort than we are on our mission. And our mission is to reach the world. Our mission is to shine the light of Christ, to give the good news to a broken world that is despondent, that is lost, that's trapped in the darkness. The shadow has taken over this world, man, and people are consumed by lies. And the only thing that can set them free is the truth. And what happens is we get older, we convince ourselves that the work of the Lord is really the young man's job, right? And what we're supposed to be doing, because we put in our time, we're supposed to be winding down, you know what I'm saying? Get things in order, prepare for retirement, you know, get our fishing poles all greased up or whatever you do. I don't know if fishing poles, you do grease up. Probably don't grease fishing poles. I don't know anything about fishing, obviously. My pastor, who is a passionate fisherman, if he watched, I know he's going to listen to this, he's going to, I'm going to get a note about that. I'm sorry, Pastor, I know you probably don't grease up a fishing rod. I don't know what you do to it. Anyway, you do something in preparation for retirement. And so what happens is we have that mindset that it becomes a limiting factor as we become maybe older. And we start to think, well, you know what, this isn't really not my job. But what we find with, with Caleb is he says, listen, I'm 85 years old. And you know what, my will, my desire, my commitment, my dependence is just as great today as it was back then. He's not talking about his physical strength himself. He's talking about his strength in the Lord. He's made all that he's done and he's succeeded because of God. So he's saying, listen, that hasn't changed. I'm just as dependent upon God then now as I was then. And so what happens is God's given us our experiences. And what you've got to realize is we get older. We have a lot more experiences than young people. We have a lot of pitfalls that we've gone through. We have mistakes that we've made. We have, oh, my goodness, so many things that we've done wrong. Mis- I mean, in regards to parenting or relationships or just life. And all of that's not wasted. God never wastes pain. He never wastes our experiences. He wants to use them for his glory. So what you have is an opportunity as we get older, we actually have a more rich opportunity to invest in the lives of others. And so that's the whole thing. It's about honoring thine elders and stuff like that. The principles, what's so important about it is that those life experiences, that's what young people need. They don't need TikTok. They don't need whatever else there is. They don't need solutions from other 20 years old who speak the wisdom of the world. They don't need that. What they need is elderly people that say, you know what, I have lived life, and I have been through some stuff, and let me just give you a little insight on what it is you're facing. And they may not believe us, but listen, if we speak truth, what's awesome is truth resonates in people's hearts. The night I heard the gospel, I'd never heard the gospel before. I didn't know anything about the scripture. I'd never read the Bible. I knew nothing about nothing about God. And so the night that I heard the gospel, and they were explaining to me who Christ was and reading scripture to me, I didn't know it, I didn't recognize it, I'd never heard it before, but I knew in my heart that it was truth, and I resonated it, man, it just rang in my heart as truth. And so when I was asked if I knew for sure I was going to go to heaven, and I said, I don't know, and he said, can I show you how you could know for sure, man, I was like, this guy knows how. I don't have to, I don't know, I don't know him very well, I mean, it was my brother-in-law, but I only met him one at a time, and he was big and scary and intimidating, because he's like six foot five, ex-Navy SEAL, you know, all that business. And I'm wearing a wife beater shirt and a pair of dirty shorts. And he's wearing a suit from coming from work. And I'm just like, oh, man. I was intimidated. I didn't know what. But you know what? I didn't have to know that he was telling the truth because I could tell what he was telling me was true. And that's the thing. If we'll speak truth into people's lives, man, we can set them free from the lies. People are searching right now. They're searching. They're searching. They're searching. And they desperately need the truth. The world right now is in a spiritual night. When Jesus ascended, Jesus, the light of the world, when he ascended from this earth, the planet earth fell into a spiritual night. That's why the book of Philippians says that you and I are supposed to shine as lights in the world, right? That's our role. It's a picture in the sun and the moon. What is the sun is a picture of Christ, and it has the power, the light, man. And here's the moon, a dead rock. It brings nothing to the party. Its only job is to reflect the light of the sun. And so you and I get to shine as lights pictured in that moon. And the only thing that keeps it from bitten, that man, that, if, if that moon is in full connection with the, with the sun, man, it's a bright, bright light. But let the world get in between the two. And guess what? The light of the moon goes out. And what happens when you and I allow the world to get between us and Christ? The light of the world 
can no longer reflect off of us because we're caught in the shadow of the world. It's a physical thing that God has created in nature to show us a principle that's shown in Scripture. So we look at this and we go, okay, so what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to, to share hope with people? Well, notice this in 1 Peter 3, 15. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Sanctify means set apart. Set apart in your heart and be ready always, notice the wording, always, to give an answer to every man that asketh you of a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It does not say sometimes. It does not say when you're young. It does not say when you are healthy. It says always be ready, right? Be ready always to give an answer to him, to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. The hope that is in us is Christ. Listen, if you're a born again child of God, you have hope because you have Jesus. So the hope that lies within me. Now, you may not be able to give the whole gospel. You may not be able to, to quote scripture to them, but you can tell them the story. You can tell them your personal story, the power of your testimony. You have no idea the impact they can have in someone's life. Just knowing what God has done in your life, maybe through adversity, maybe through challenges, or maybe just the realization that He exists. There's so much to be done by just simply opening our mouths. That's why it says, be ever asking, it says, if every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so what it's telling us is saying, let's say, as long as there's breath in our lungs, we should be sharing of his great love. As long as there's life within our bodies, we should be telling people the gospel of Christ. If we do this thing right, this thing of life, can I tell you, on our deathbed, we should be telling of the Savior, telling the people of the hope that lies within us, relying on his strength when our strength is all but gone because it was never us in the first place. Which brings us to our next point. Caleb understood that real strength is derived from God. Verse 12. You guys with me? Everybody all right? Good. Just making sure y'all are like very focused. Either that or you're all going to sleep. One way or the other, I'm going to keep going. Now therefore, giveth me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. Uh, if so be the Lord, notice this wording, if so be the Lord be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. In this statement, Caleb reveals to us that his miraculous strength, his ability to do these amazing things is, notice this, verse 12, if so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. What this phrase and what this statement tells us is the fact that, listen, God, that Caleb is trusting in God's presence and he's also trusting in God's promise. His presence, verse 12, if so be the Lord will be with me, then I should be able to drive them out. His promise, notice how it ends up, as the Lord said. I'm trusting in what God said. I'm trusting in his promise to me, and I'm trusting in his presence. And now there are multiple places where God's given this promise of where in Scripture this promise was given, the, the, the one that, that, that Caleb's holding on to. Remember, Caleb's been holding on to this for a very, very long time, 45 years. Back in Exodus chapter 23, verse 27 through 31, this is the very first time that Caleb would have heard the promise of God. I will send my fear before thee. This is God speaking. I will send my, send my fear before thee, and I will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite, before thee, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. What's interesting is God saying, listen, I'm not going to drive them out all at one time because guess what? This place would become a mess. So what I'm actually going to do is do it incrementally so that everything stays in order. So when you inherit these cities and you come in here, everything's going to be proper. It's all going to be worked out. What's so cool when we go and we heard from Rahab, what did Rahab tell us? She told us that the whole country was afraid. This fear, God had already sent it in there. He's already preparing the hearts of the enemy. By little and by little, I will drive them out before thee until thou be increased when you guys are ready and inherit the land. Verse 31. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even to the Sea of the Philistines. Some of these are the borders. And from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Caleb would have heard this promise, as I said, a year before he and the other spies even walked in to see the land. This is before that 40 years in the wilderness. Obviously, he held on to this. 
And he was continually leaning on it. He knows that God is who he says that he is. And because of his knowledge and his faith and trust in God, he's putting his faith in what God's going to accomplish. His faith is not in himself. What you find about Caleb is he's never, he's never heady, right? He's never full of himself. He's not high-minded. He's not arrogant. He's not prideful. What do we find about Caleb? He is successful because he is humble. He's humbly following the Lord. And he's trusting in the Lord completely. This is the key to his success. Notice what Proverbs 29, 23 says this. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Matthew 23, 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. Abased is an old English term for being put on your face. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And it's through this kind of humility, right, that we see displayed in Caleb that we can learn how to become great men and women of faith. People who God can use to do great things for the kingdom of God. James 4, verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Again, that principle of you do your part, he'll do his. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Double-minded. He's saying, listen, decide in who it is you're going to put your faith. Is it going to be you? Is it going to be the world? Or is it going to be God? If it's going to be God, it needs to be all God. Not halfway, not partially. Notice that when we see the description of, of Caleb, it says he wholly followed the Lord. It doesn't say that he partially followed the Lord, that he mostly followed the Lord. It says that he wholly followed the Lord. Caleb is all in. He's all in. And I'm telling you, if we get all in, it will change our perspective on our lives. Amen. We will not see things the way we see them now. It's this double-mindedness. You know what? The Bible says they're unstable in all of his ways. An un, a double-minded man is an unstable in all of his ways. And we go, why is life so, so catastrophic? Why is it always so shaky? Why does everything feel so, so, uh, so unnerved and so, so out of control? Because we're double-minded. Right. We've got one, one foot on the sand and we've got another on the rock. And we're trying to find stability while this one's sinking. We're adjusting, 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 adjusting. We're trying to find the way. And God says, no, no, no. Establish yourself on the truth. Walk with me. Trust in me. Don't trust in you. Don't trust in circumstances. Don't trust in the world. Trust in me. Trust in me. Trust in me. And what happens when we have the same perspective that we do here with Caleb, this aspect of being all in, you know what happens to us? We see the world the way God does. Right? What do we see? We love what God loves, and we hate what God hates. Right? So when we go further on, we look at this verse number 9, which I said we would touch on. It says, be afflicted and mourn. Now this, you go, okay, this is all about getting close to God. But notice what it says. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. What it's telling us is the very things that you used to think were entertaining from an earthly perspective, when you get close to God, guess what? They're not too appealing. The words you used to say that didn't used to bother you now cut you like a knife. The things that you hear, the things you consume, the things that you eat, the things that all the the people that you're around, all the things, all the things of life that did not used to bother you now bother you. And the jokes that you used to hear what you thought were hilarious now makes your heart sink because you have a different perspective. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, a new perspective, and your joy to heaviness. No longer seeing ourselves from a worldly perspective, but from a godly one. And verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and again, he shall lift you up. Listen, we do great things for God, not through our efforts, dedication, and our service. It's not through us. It's not what we bring to the table. It's through our submission to our king. See, the Bible says that we're supposed to be vessels. A vessel is like this. This is a container. And what does it do? It holds whatever I put into it. It holds water. It holds coffee, whatever it is. So this is the vessel. The Bible says that we're supposed to be a vessel. Notice this in 2 Timothy 2.20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. So there are some that honor God and there are some that dishonor God. We're supposed to be a vessel for the Spirit of God. If you are a born-again child of God, the Spirit of God lives within you. You are the temple of God. And so we need to decide, what do we want to be? Do we want to be a vessel that honors God or one that dishonors Him? Because He says, listen, in the house there's both. And who determines it? Not us. I mean, not God. 
We do. Are we submitted to God? Are we surrendered? Are we humble before Him? We need to determine what we want to be. And then lastly, Caleb's example to us is that he knows a, a truth, something we've touched on before, which is God rewards faithfulness. Verse 13, 14, and 15. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. And so Caleb gets the desire of his heart, the thing that he's been holding on to for 45 years. And verse 14 tells us, why does he get the desire of his heart? Because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. God is rewarding Caleb's faithfulness. The word because. And we've discussed numerous times, and I've mentioned in this message already, the conditional way that God deals with his children. What does God do? He has expectations. He works in our lives. He repeatedly says things like this. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. Notice Exodus 19, verses 4 through 5. Ye have seen that what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. One of the most famous verses is in the world, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. John 8, 31 through 32. Then, Jesus, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And you see, like any good parent, the Lord establishes expectations. He lets us know, these are the limitations. This is what I'm going to ask of you. And then he consistently will either reward obedience or discipline disobedience. It is a consistency with him. This is, this is an amazing gift that God gives us, which is his consistency. He's always the same. He does not change. We touched on this last Wednesday night. We talked about some of these verses. Malachi 3.6 is this. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, this is Israel, are not consumed. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And it's because of his consistency in these areas, his immutable nature, the fact that he is always the same, that you and I, we can establish our faith it's only because he is unchanging. It's only because his word is never altered. It's only because he's always, always consistent that you and I can establish our faith and say, listen, I can count on him because I know he will not change. He will not leave me nor forsake me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for thou art with me. And so we strengthen our faith every day by holding on to the promises of God's word and knowing that they're true and they will not change. And so when we go through adversity and things we don't understand, because I, can I tell you, in my life, there have been plenty of things that have hit me. Whatever you say, I don't know what you mean. When you're not expecting, what does it mean to get, what is, what's the, blindside. there you go, that was one, blindside. I was going to say broadside, and that doesn't even make any sense as I was running through my brain. <laughs> blindsided, Right? When you get blindsided and you go, what the, where'd that come from? What in the world? I didn't see that coming, right? When, and and I've I mentioned it a lot, but when my wife told me, look, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to marry you anymore. I don't want a relationship with you anymore. My wife told me that. Can I tell you that she was the love of my life then? I thought I loved her with all my heart. I thought I was committed to her with all my heart, and I was. But I had lost perspective of what was important, and I did not know how to love my wife. And I thought I was doing it by saying I loved her, but my body language, my attitude, my actions didn't tell her. She didn't feel loved. So though I said, I'm telling you I love you, she didn't hear I love you. Because what I did was I was so consumed with ministry that I just ignored my family. They'll understand. They'll understand. They'll understand. And I poured hour after hour after hour after hour after hour into other people's families while I neglected my own. And I'm almost lost. The thing that was most dear to me. And I, man, I'm telling you, self-righteous. Ooh, buddy, you better believe I was. I was like, how in the world do you realize what I've been doing? 
Do you realize the sacrifice I've made? What, should, what mattered is the fact that that woman did not feel loved. And whose fault was it? Mine. And God humbled me through it. And he took me through that experience to teach me not only how to value my wife, but how to help other people. God never wastes pain. And though I was blindsided by that and I thought it was the end of my life, God brought us through it and gave us the most beautiful marriage that I've ever even imagined could exist in the world. And I wouldn't go back and change it. The way it was awful. And I hate what I did to her. But I wouldn't change it because it made us who we are today. And so when we go through life, man, recognize the fact that God's consistent. He's faithful. He walks with us through those times. And you know what I could fall back on? Was that even though in the darkest moments of the darkest days, when I felt the most broken and the most ready to give up, God was there. And if I would just look up, He was there. And I could feel His loving hand. He was there. And when I went to His Word, and man, I'm telling you, I went to Colossians chapter 3, and I read it over and over and over and over. I read it over and over and over. I would read it 20, 30, 40, 50 times in a row. And God would minister to me through the same words I was reading, and they would give me hope. And it was God being faithful in the midst of brokenness. And see, that's the whole goal of this. God was faithful to Caleb through difficult things. And here Caleb's at a point in time in life where he should have been ready to give up. And he wasn't because you know what? He just trusted the Lord. I don't understand my circumstance. I don't like my circumstance. I don't like the fact that I'm now 85 years old. For goodness sakes, I'm going to finally get the place that I can enjoy and retire. And I'm about to die, for goodness sakes. Why do I have to wait this long? But he doesn't. He just goes, you know what? I'm going to trust you. What does it say in Numbers 23, 19? God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. That he, he says, hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God will do his part. You just need to do your part. Our problem is we want God to do his without us doing ours. We must do our part. We can count on the Lord to do what is right. Now, Caleb was given a mission. His mission was to stand in defiance of evil and to trust the Lord for victory in spite of his circumstances. He wholly followed the Lord. And you know what? Ours is very similar to that. Though evil has taken on different forms throughout the ages, in the end, what was wrong then, guess what? Is still wrong today. Exactly right. God's feelings on sinfulness have never changed. And neither should ours. They are the same. Our beliefs and standards are not determined by cultural norms or by trending viewpoints. No, they are determined by the holy word of God. Amen. And that's what this world needs, is the truth of God's word. Not what the culture says, not what human wisdom says, but the truth of God's word. It has to be delivered in love, but it's the very thing that this world is dying, dying for, the truth. They need it desperately. God rewards faithfulness, faithfulness to his word. And being faithful means to be consistent and unchanging. It's simple. Consistent and unchanging. Caleb was blessed mightily by God for never wavering in his trust and dedication to the mission that the Lord had given him. He was committed. And in spite, in spite of the fact that he stood as a minority against almost every one of his peers, and despite the fact that they went into situations where they were far outgunned and outmanned, and though he was a very old man whose body was now becoming aged, he did not lose hope. He simply realized the fact that, hey, you know what? No matter what, he was sold out to God. He was sold out to God's mission for him. And it was because of his faithfulness, his willingness to trust the Lord, the fact that God was faithful when he was faithful. He knew if he would do his part, God would do his part. And it was God's faithfulness and willingness to fight for his own that Joshua, that Caleb could hold on to. And instead of being intimidated by what was on the horizon, cities filled with giants, and you and I have things in our lives that we would consider giants, things that, boy, they seem insurmountable. They're frightening. They're threatening. They're way more powerful than we are. And see, Caleb could see those adversities in his life. In fact, this, he was prepared, see, to face giants at any age. And what we've got to realize is no matter what is coming against us, it's not us that's going to get the victory. <laughs> You're not the one. It's God that will bring the victory. The question is, will we trust him 
right? The Bible says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, right? More than conquerors through him that loved us. The Lord has a purpose for your adversity. And if you'll trust him through it, he will bring you to the other side. And then he'll shift your perspective on what that adversity was. Because what I used to think of at that time in my life, I now would not give up because it is the most powerful ministering tool that God could have ever given me to bring hope to people that are hopeless. And you realize, whoa, huh, this thing doesn't work the way I thought it worked. I thought I had all life figured out. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I do not do this thing the way you want me to do it. But trust me, my way is best. Trust him, right? Trust him. And we can face giants at any age. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the love you have for us, and God, for the things you've taught us from your word. Thank you for Caleb's example. Uh, Thank you that we can go to the Old Testament and we can dig into these stories of men from thousands of years ago and see things that are so relevant for us even now. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his example. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, for having a purpose and a plan for us, Lord, that we don't even understand so many times. Lord, would you help us? Help us to lean on you. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to be unfaithful to the world and faithful to our Savior. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be emissaries to this broken world. There are many people that do not know Christ. But, Lord, the only way they'll get to know him is by people caring enough to reach out. So, Lord, would you help our lives to make a difference? With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know necessarily where I stand with God. I understand that perspective. 21 years ago, someone asked me if I knew for sure I was on my way to heaven. And I said, I just honestly, I do not know. My wording was, I hope so. That's not a very good answer. The Bible says that we can know. Jesus died for the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is as simple as faith. The Bible says, for by grace for by grace he is saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And just like life is a gift, salvation is a gift. It's not earned. It's just freely received by faith. That's it. It's that simple. We don't have to have all the answers. We just have to be willing to trust in what Christ did on the cross. He loved the world, and for that very purpose, he was pinned to that cross. He was murdered on that cross, and he gave his life to pay the sin debt that you and I all owe. And if you've never received him, that debt lays squarely on your shoulders for your sin. But if you receive Christ, he will take that debt that's yours, and he will put it upon himself and pay that price. So if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you've never really truly earnestly trusted him. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another to give him your heart, to give him your heart. If you've never done that, I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. There is no magic prayer. There is no ceremony involved. This is a broken heart calling out to a loving God who's ready to receive you. So our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and in your mind. Dear Lord, I truly understand that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for the way that I have failed you, I've failed my family, and I've failed myself. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, and pay the debt that I owe with your life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Lord, would you use my life for your glory and help me, Lord, to be a soldier for the cross. Lord, I'll see you in heaven one day. Thank you for loving me. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.